Good morning. Welcome to Yorkfield. We are the Messenger Band, and we love to sing a message of praise and worship today. I'm going to try a, a, this first song that uh, I'm going to, it's kind of like a teach piece today. Uh, we're going to be singing this as a messenger piece today, and then we'll repeat it with you next week. Um, as we continue our, service, uh, our series on the cross-centered life and the journey to that cross, uh, this song is about the lamb who died on that cross. And I'll sing a little bit of it for you. We're going to be doing this in the service today, and then uh, we'll ask you to sing with us next week the same song. It goes like this. The Lamb, the Lamb, oh Father, where's the sacrifice? Faith sees, believes, God will provide the Lamb a prize. Worthy is the Lamb whose death makes me his own. The Lamb is reigning on His throne. Called the Lamb. We're going to be doing that a little bit, so please uh, listen and enjoy that. Let's all stand for our first song today. Two, three, and... Ancient of Days.
Lord, it is you we adore and we come to worship you today. Bless our service, bless our worship. It is you. As we lift up our hands, will you meet us here as we call on your name? Will you meet us here? We have come to this place to worship you. God of mercy and grace, it is you we adore, it is you, praises are for, only you the heavens declare, it is you, it is you.
wonderful to have you in worship today, and uh, if you're visiting with us, uh, we are thankful for that. There's a place out there in the lobby that you can grab coffee and tea and things like that after worship, have a chance to uh, greet folks as well if you haven't done that already. Also, there are tear-off tabs on your bulletin for things to sign up for. Um, some of those are happening right away. Tomorrow night on Monday, um, we are helping to feed some folks that might be hungry in the Elmhurst area. A thing called Faith, Food, and Fasting. Tomorrow night, downstairs in our fellowship hall, and I'd love to have you be a part of that. Uh, speaking of food, this is something you don't have to sign up for all. I was just told that for some reason, this happens every once in a while when you have a food pantry, we have five cases of bananas that will never make it uh, as far as they need to go for the food pantry. So if you like bananas, um, they're waiting for you when you leave worship today. They'll be right out here. Take some bananas home. Eat them. That'll be good. Uh, they're good for you. Also, uh, another eating thing. Uh, during Holy Week, uh, one of the, our first special service during Holy Week is on Monday, Thursday, and it's a Christian Seder meal. It's a, uh, a kind of a teaching meal, which is the way God designed Passover to be. It's a, it's a meal that was always meant to be eaten uh, across the generations, from the oldest grandpa and grandmother in the family down to the youngest baby. And so it's designed that way. There are questions that children ask uh, as part of the liturgy. We eat together uh, in the context of that meal, and there's a whole uh, worship service. Uh, part of that is we'll have a, uh, an actual meal, and so we need to know, we need to have you sign up so we know how much food to order. But we'll also be uh, eating the bitter herbs and the, the, uh, the matzah and the the mortar in between those matzahs that remind us of those bricks and mortar that our spiritual ancestors uh, built when they were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. All of that as we remember Christ, uh, our Passover lamb once and for all. So uh, if you would like to be a part of that service downstairs, Monday, Thursday, sign up that for that uh, on your bulletin tab. And when the ushers come by in a little bit, uh, you can just put that right in the offering plate. Also, one of the things that is great uh, about um, being in the church is that we get to band together. Uh, and, and because we band together, we can help do some things that we can't do by ourselves. And one of the things that we do here at York Hill, besides our own local food pantry and stuff, is that we reach out and try and help other communities and other ministries. And about once a month, we hear from those ministries, and, and we have a wonderful opportunity today for you guys to hear about the night ministry. Uh, so it's a great uh, work that's going on in, in downtown Chicago primarily. And to introduce our speaker is uh, Susan Eddington. Susan. Good morning. Um, our minute for mission this morning is the night ministry, which is located in Chicago. Um, right now, our mission commission, we give money to this organization. Um, if anyone knows is interested in giving their, their own time to this, you could you know, let me know or let anyone on the mission commission know. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities we could work together in small groups from our church and give some time to um, either ride the bus or just prepare food that's given out to the youth on the streets. So anyway, just let me know if you would be interested in that later. And our speaker today is Reverend Julie Delazine. 
much. It's so good to be here. We're so grateful for the support of this congregation. How many of you have heard of the night ministry? Awesome. Great. A good number of people. Um, so our, our founding story kind of is that um, there was a group of congregations in the Lakeview Lincoln Park neighborhood, and, and the question that they were starting to ask was, well, where are the congregations on the nighttime streets? Where are the people of faith on the nighttime streets? And, um, you know, we meet during the day and things, but where are folks at night? And so they hired a, a minister, a UCC minister, to, uh, to walk the streets of the neighborhood at night. Um, and he was our only staff member for the first 10 years. Our own, the, so the things that he learned on the street is how our organization grew. Um, so one of the things that he learned was that there are a lot of homeless youth who come to that neighborhood from all over the city and suburbs and from all over the country uh, to meet up with other homeless youth. There are about 10,000 youth each year in Chicago that are homeless. Um, two or 3,000 on any given night. So they're homeless and unaccompanied by a parent or guardian. Um, there's only a little over 100 shelter beds for youth ages 14 to 21. So a big disparity there. Um, and youth become homeless for a variety of different reasons. Well, so some of the things that we do is we have outreach on the street with the youth. We also have several youth shelters um, the night ministry has about 32 beds uh, in different capacities. We help pregnant and parenting teen moms and other youth as well. The other thing that, our, that the minister found out was that there are a lot of people who were just lonely or perhaps homeless or on the edge of becoming homeless uh, or people who um, didn't have access to, to medical help, um, people without insurance. And so the other thing that that we, we have is our health outreach bus. And this is a very much smaller model of our health outreach bus. Um, it's about 38 foot long, foot feet long in real life. Um, have, has any of you seen the bus around? We go to six different stops, six nights a week, and we go to the same stops each, each night so people know to expect us. On any given night, we might see 300 people at all our stops. Um, so there's usually a big line waiting when we get there. And people are able to see, we have a big uh, nurse's station in the back of the bus. We have a parish, uh, sorry, a, a nurse practitioner who's uh, able to give medicine, do um, STD testing, do help with um, diabetes, asthma, blood pressure, you know, all different things, and make referrals for folks. She's able to really listen to their stories as well. We have outreach ministers on the bus who also hear people's stories and make referrals and offer advice. Um, one of the big things that we do is build relationships. I think a lot of times in homelessness that one of the reasons why people become homelessness, homeless is the lack of relationship. And so we really work on doing that and thinking that people are more willing to reach out and ask for help if they, if they know us, if they know who we are personally. Um, and we also, have, so we also have congregations who come and serve meals with the bus as well, and with youth, youth outreach. So I work in congregational relations. We have 300 congregations across Chicago doing different things. And I think that's really important, um, as Pastor Mike was saying, that um, you know, these problems seem so big and so hard to do anything about. But when we're all working together, I think that's, that's the power of it, right? We're able to do something. And so there's lots of different ways to help out. Um, as Susan was saying, either uh, serving meal with the bus, perhaps volunteering individually with the shelter, with the bus, um, 
baking cookies. We serve cookies as a sign of hospitality um, each night on the bus, uh, hygiene kits, socks, kind of a myriad of, of needs that people, that folks need on the streets. So thank you so much for listening and for your support. It's good to be here. We're indeed thankful for the work that Night Ministry is doing. Children of the congregation, would you join me for our morning lesson together? We'll meet right over here, I think. All right. Hey, I know you. Have a seat right there, Henry. All right. Hey, buddy. All right. How many of you guys know about the Ten Commandments? You've been, some of you have been studying them in town and in Sunday school, right? Um, what are they? Those are rules that God gave us, right, on how to live. And they all fit. There they are. They all fit on one page really easily, don't they? Remember what some of those are? Mm -hmm. You shall not what? You shall not lie. That's right. What else might be on there? Mm -hmm. Shall not kill. Yeah, you shouldn't covet. You shouldn't steal. Yeah. Those are, there's ten of them. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, and, and not have any other gods. They're all right here on this page. Pretty easy. You could memorize those without too much trouble, right? So, that wouldn't be any trouble. But you know what? By Jesus' day, people thought that you, we needed to explain some of those laws and um, especially those ones that said, like, honor the Sabbath and to be, to be good on the Sabbath. And, and um, so by the Jesus' day, those ten laws had turned into over 600 laws, 600 of them. So how many of you guys think you could, like, memorize 600 laws? Anybody? So imagine that. You got, like, now you've gone from 10 to 600. So, yeah, that was a problem. That was, like, a lot of... A lot more to do. And then, right around that time, too, um, people started discussing and worrying about those 600 laws and saying, um, you know, there are certain ways to keep those and to not keep those. And, and then they developed a whole bunch of more sort of little miniature rules about how to keep those. And they put those in a bunch of books called uh, the Talmud. that make you want to be a follower of Jesus? Trying to do all of that? Doesn't that sound like you're a, you are a born Talmudic scholar. All right, hang on to that. What about the rest of you? To me, that just seems like work. And also, I'm just thinking, I can't possibly do it. There's no way I can keep all those rules. I just can't do it. What is God asking me to do? Does God really want me to just spend my whole life worrying if I'm breaking a one rule or another? 
Well, what do you think? In fact, God told his people through the prophet Jeremiah, he said, a day is coming, a day is coming when I will write my law upon your hearts. Now, he didn't mean that he was going to come and perform surgery on you and get out a magic marker and write on your heart or anything. What he meant about that was that a day is coming when you're not going to have to to study a whole bunch of stuff in books because you're going to know me deep inside of you. In your heart, you're going to know me. And you'll be able to follow me because your heart will tell you that I am here and you will know what's right and what's good and how to follow me. And then Jesus came and that's when that came true. Jesus said, if you love me, if you ask for forgiveness, you're forgiven, and I will come and dwell in your hearts. And my voice is in your hearts to guide you and to lead you. That's pretty neat, huh? We don't have to worry about keeping 600 and some laws and all their interpretations. We can listen to the voice of Jesus in our hearts. How many of you guys do that? Do you listen for that voice in your heart? Listen for Jesus telling you what to do? Mm-hmm. That's good. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you want to come and, and have a special relationship with us. To come and let us know you very, very well. We thank you that we can learn about you in the Bible, but we especially thank you that you have come and that we can know you and that you have written your law and given us your love deep inside of us. And all God's people say, Amen. All right. Throughout Lent, we've been talking about the cross-centered life, and we've particularly been talking about um, adversity that we face as Christians. God says, I love you, and I write my law in your hearts, but also, you're in the world, but, and you're not of the world, but I am not, you know, he, he doesn't take adversity away from us. We, we still hit the potholes, don't we? We still have those difficult moments, and we've had a number of folks who have who have, uh, I should say, be willing to let their arms be twisted to come and to, to share with you some of the adversities in their own lives and how uh, God has helped them through those times. And, and I'm thankful today that uh, Barbara Sillett-Mueller is one of those folks. So if you'd come up here. Let me introduce you, uh, Barbara, a little bit. Barbara is a mother and a grandmother. Have you become a great-grandmother yet? Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> a great-grandmother. And um, Barbara's been a member of this congregation since 1957, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Uh, an elder, lots of other things over time. Uh, one of the leaders of, uh, of the Elizabeth Circle. And um, it, I really appreciate you coming and, and sharing with us. 
Um, Barbara, I know one of the things that you've had to face personally in your own life, about 10 years ago, uh, you went to have some tests done and, and then you came back home and, and uh, there was a message on the, the answering machine that, that uh, was not a happy message. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't been feeling good and went to my doctor. I go to Loyola and um, they did some tests, some ultrasound and uh, CAT scan and things like that. And this one day when we got home from one of the tests, my husband and I on the answering machine was a message from my internist that said, tomorrow I have an appointment for you at uh, Loyola with a uh, gynae oncologist surgeon. So off, that was, you know, wow. So anyhow, the next day we went and met with this Dr. Potko, who I heard from somebody in the first service, they had been to see him too. He's a wonderful man. And he sat us down in the little room that they have for this type of thing and uh, said that they thought that I had an ovarian tumor. And uh, one of the things about an ovarian tumor is that by the time it's diagnosed, it's almost too late, that there's not many signs that show this. So he said it's very serious surgery and uh, gather your family and we'll hope for the best. Well, gather, you, your, gather your family. <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> you know how it turned out because I'm here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we went home and told, every, told the family and everybody came and we talked about it. And that, the night before our, the surgery, I, we went to bed and uh, in the night I was tossing and turning and I woke up and I was crying and I thought I better get up, I'm going to keep George awake. And, so I went in the other room and I opened the Bible. I thought I'll read and see what God has to say. And as you open your Bible, you, you turn to Psalms. So the Psalm I happened to have right there that God directed me to was Psalm 56. And it talks about uh, if God is for you, who can be against you? That God counts your tossings and God puts your tears in a bottle. All these things that had been happening to me and that what can man do to you if God is for you? That God loves you and you trust in him and he'll take care of you. So I read it over and over and did some praying and went to bed and the next morning I got up and we were getting ready to go and I was just happy as a lark. <laughs> and we went into the hospital. Wait, 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 okay. wait, wait, wait. So you were absolutely afraid the night before, but you woke up and that fear was completely gone the next day? It was completely gone. I just had been transformed. I just, it was just, I mean, I just didn't, wasn't afraid anymore. I thought one way or the other, I didn't know if it was going to be good or bad, but I knew that I was in God's hands and that I was his child and he loved me and what could man do to me? So... We went and the, Michael was there and my children and my one son was so nervous, he had an accident on 294 driving in. And the oncologist's um, surgeon, surgeon, surgical assistant, and the anesthesiologist, and they're all giving me all this stuff. And I'm saying, oh, don't worry, it'll be fine. <laughs> and they're all kind of looking at me like, you know, she's probably on something. <laughs> 
Well, I was. I was on the Holy Spirit. That God was with me, and I just wasn't afraid anymore. I just, it was just different. So four hours later, the surgeon came out and talked to my family and said that they had taken out over a five-pound tumor and that the wonderful thing was is that, and also my appendix, that was all bad, um, that it wasn't encapsulated, that it hadn't metastasized at all. This cancer cells, everything was still in this, this loaf of bread, practically, or a small chicken, or a little baby. <laughs> That's how... <laughs> small chicken. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, five pounds is big yeah. thing. You know? <laughs> big chicken. So anyhow, we were very thankful, and, and my life was spared, and I was in a whole different plane with my relationship with God, and my family took note of all this, and I'm happy to say uh, my children are all Christian, and um, we did a lot of praying, and our prayers were answered, and the Holy Spirit kept me going. That's wonderful. Now, that'd be great if we could just say that was the last adversity that you ever had in your life, but mm -hmm. that's not the case at all, is it? A couple no. of years ago, you had to face a whole nother kind of adversity when you, you lost your husband, George, mm -hmm. this guy that you'd known since you were 16. Mm -hmm. I met George when I was 16. I was in high school. It was during World War II, and um, we weren't going to get married. Everybody said, you're too young. We always kidded that we stayed married because everybody said it was never going to work. <laughs> but we were married for 63 years, and we were together for 65 years. We grew up together. And when we were married and the pastor talked about, uh, he was in the Army in Washington, in St. Louis, at Presbyterian Chapel there, and he said, and two become one, we were. We were one, we stayed one, he always said, don't worry, Barbara, everything's going to be fine. He just cared for me. He was a gentleman, a tender person. He cared for his family. He just, he never could do enough for his family. He just, should I tell him the story of St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> it, since, since we just had St. Patrick's Day, go for it. Um, my maiden name was Callahan. And my father always celebrated St. Patrick's Day. And after my dad died, George took that up. So two years ago, he was in the hospital for the umpteenth time, and it was getting near the end. And my daughter Joy was there to see him, and he said, you've got to get something for Mother for me for St. Patrick's Day. So she went out and bought something and brought it to him and a card, and he signed it and everything. And um, that was the beginning of March, and he died March 9th. And the 17th was St. Patrick's Day. My daughter came over, and here she had this beautiful card with his name. And she had bought a small crystal green butterfly, which was so symbolic of the cocoon and the new life. Well, they, we were a mess, my daughter and I. but. To think that one of his last things that he did was to think of what, how I would be happy on that day. And that was just a little bit of what all that he did for me. He just took care of me. So then he's gone. And then he died. Mm -hmm. 
and the church was full. It was overflowing. Michael said, we can't start. There's still people standing outside. Um, so it's been a very hard time. It's just, uh, C.S. Lewis has said in some of his grief books that uh, like a curtain comes down between you and the regular world. And I said to Michael, my joy kind of left. And I wasn't really good at uh, social talk anymore. I'd go out for dinner with the kids and, and now or I'd say, I gotta go home. I just, there was just something there. Well, anyhow, Paulette came. <laughs> Paulette Taburin called me in the summer or the fall and they were doing this um, uh, spiritual friends. Spiritual friends. And would I be her spiritual friend? And I said, Paulette, I'm old enough to be your mother. You want somebody young. <laughs> but anyhow, they've been through a lot, as you know. And we've been through a lot. Our family is, you know, sometimes, you know, everything wasn't rosy. It's been a lot of problems as long as, as there is good. So anyhow, Paulette and I meet uh, twice a month. And we do uh, Bible study and prayer and we talk. And it's just been a blessing. And during this time, I've come to rely more and more on God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The emptiness that I have felt that where George's love has, is not gone, but it's not with me, I'm replacing with God's love. That the Holy Spirit, through uh, Bible study, prayer, adult Sunday school, I come to church as much as I can, small groups. I'm just growing more and more into the Christ-centered life. I said to Michael, it's like when you first start swimming, you just splash around and then you go a little farther. And now I'm really out into the deep, into the deep part of it. And it's been just a filling experience for me. And God is loving me and taking care of me. And um, Sometimes it's like a red-hot poker comes and I can't take it. Like two weeks ago, we had communion and I just had to leave and I ran into the arms of Barbara Gorski and she embraced me and helped me and uh, prayed with me and, and I'm, doing, I'm doing much better. But the thing is, is that I know there's a lot of people that have been sick. There's a lot of people that have lost their spouses and it's you're too young for that yet, but that at the church we need one another and that through this we support one another and always remember how much God loves you and that the Holy Spirit is in you. God is in you. His heart is in you. And he said, I will not leave you. I will send you a comforter. And he has. He sent me a comforter and he sent me peace. <laughs> you are eloquent and you are an inspiration. I love you. Barbara, thank you very much for going out into that deep water and sharing that with us. You're going to come back when you're surfing, you're right? You're next. <laughs>
my sin and wretchedness he lives forgives he gives me his own righteousness and worthy is the lamb whose death makes me his own the lamb is reigning on his Let us pray. Oh God, by your spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, the scripture today is Psalm 51, verses 1 through 12. Uh, it's on pages, it's on page 520 in the Old Testament in YouTube Bible. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. You desire the truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within. Do not cast away, do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in, and sustain in me a willing spirit. from today comes from the prophet Jeremiah. Listen for the word of God to you. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. 
Promises are made and promises are broken. She often reminds me, Mom, it's 9.15 tonight. Yes, Katie, I promise to be there to pick you up from dance class tonight at 9.15. I'll be there. It's written on my calendar. I know it. And then the day goes on and I lose track of time. Sometimes the meeting runs a little long. Sometimes I need to talk to one more person. Or there's that infamous one more email. I'll just send one more email. And before I know it, I'm not there. I've broken my promise, and I've left her standing alone in the dark again. The executives of AIG signed contracts assuring them bonuses. I don't know the details of their contract. I don't know if their bonuses were so structured so that at the end of the year, given measurable results, that they would be paid bonuses based on their performance. Or was it that they were to be given a bonus no matter what happened? No matter whether their business decisions were good and worthy or not so good? I don't know. Our government made a promise to offer a level of financial security so that giants like AIG would not go under or lead to an economic instability, not only in this nation, but in the whole world. And with taxpayer money bailing out fiscal miscalculations, it's no wonder that the public is irate, feeling betrayed by what they call the best and the brightest for taking what they feel has been promised to them. Promises are made and promises are broken. The Hebrew scriptures endow us with so many examples of covenants. God promises to set the people free, and on God's own timeline, the Hebrew slaves are indeed freed. Yet there is no time, it's no time at all before in their wandering in the desert that soon their voices turn to whining. We're thirsty. We're hungry. Moses, why did you bring us here? It was so much better in Egypt when all we had to do all day was to make bricks. At the very base of Mount Sinai, the people grow weary waiting for God's word. How long will Moses stay up there on that mountain? And needing something to worship, they craft a golden calf. So much for a little gratitude while they're waiting for God's laws on how to live, huh? God made a covenant time and time again, and the people break it, whine about it, and discard it. Binding agreements are broken. And yet, God never gives up on us. Let's face it. We have good intentions, but we all stray. Does anyone even remember what their New Year's Eve resolution was? When was the last time you made a promise? And who did you make it to? Were you able to keep that promise and actually follow through on it? I cannot even keep a Lenten vow to give up chocolate for six weeks. 
I am weak. This is true. I am undisciplined. I am a sinner. We all are sinners. And our actions and our thoughts and our inaction, our laziness, keep us from God and separate us from time to time from one another. God knows this. God sees this. And thankfully, God responds. After the heartache of having the people break the covenant, not just once, but again and again, how does God respond? God remains faithful. God remains present, and God devises a new plan. Surely the days are coming, says the Lord our God, days of a new covenant. For God has witnessed that in our human frailty, we still sin. We know the law, and still we cannot always follow it. But in the days of the new covenant, God refocuses from the head to the heart. In our human frailty, we have proven that although we know the ways of God in our mind, intellectually we can hold them. We maybe even have read all those books that Pastor Mike stacked up on the communion table. As children, we've memorized the Ten Commandments. We know them, but we can't always live them. So instead, God tries a new thing. God goes internal. Rather than depending on our cognitive abilities, God focuses on the most intimate, our inner core, the very source of life. God's longing to be in relationship with us means that the holy will now plant the law in our hearts. Like a personal tattoo that is carved in our innermost spirit, God will write the law on our hearts. This bond is permanent and forever. There's no washing it off. It will not fade with time. The covenant is written on stone, but this new covenant is written on the soft tissue of human potential, says Pastor Susan Andrews. In earlier covenants, God offered an external way, an external sign as a way for both God and for us to remember what the covenant was and, and what it was made. You remember the story of Noah. What was the sign of the covenant that God offered to Noah? The rainbow. God painted the rainbow in the sky so that God, God's self, would remember never again will the earth be destroyed with flood. And to Moses, to Moses, God gave an external sign of the covenant of the law. What was that sign? What? The burning bush was a sign that God was present and there with Moses. And Moses came down from the mountain and held those tablets, those three-dimensional tablets that were there to remind us of the covenant. Generations passed, and we, before we knew it, these laws for faithful living, these tablets, although they'd been held in the Ark of the Covenant, Generations went by and the laws were forgot. And the covenant itself was shoved into a back corner 
of the temple and forgotten, left alone. But in this new covenant, God has signed and sealed us as God's very own. No longer will God depend on three-dimensional objects to remind us of a covenant because we carry the promise of that covenant right here with us every day, 24-7, 365. It's declarative and it's bold. I will be their God and they shall, they shall be my people. Something happens that moment when God writes on our hearts. God autographs our hearts and we are claimed and named and owned by God. God declares, I will forgive their iniquity and no more, no more will I remember their sin. All those times that we broke those promises, all the times that we whined that God was leading us down the wrong path, why are you taking me that this way, God? All the times that we have left behind the love and the grace, God remembers no more. You may have seen on the news this week the parades of people loading into buses to go picket in front of the homes of those AIG employees. It's a sure sign that in our humanness, it's nearly impossible for us to remember no more. We go beyond memory and move into a grudge, and sometimes our grudges move into wanting vengeance every time a covenant or a commitment is abandoned. We remember when we're forgotten. We remember when we're taken advantage of. We remember when we're betrayed. And yet God, in this new covenant, will remember no more. My daughter Emily loves Sharpie brand markers. She uses these permanent markers to record homework assignments on her hands. And she loves to write the cell phone numbers of her newest friends on her forearm. You know, it's not a bad system. You would never forget or lose it, right? I mean, I can write it in my day timer and I might lose that piece of paper. I make lists after lists and, and they get placed in the wrong briefcase or the wrong purse. She has it with her all the time. It's embodied there with her. She crafts beautiful poetry and writes it on her jeans. And she even wears these Sharpie markers as jewelry fashion statements. They become necklaces and belts. I think that the vivid and wide variety of colors offered by Sharpie is appealing. How many of you haven't bought that extra pack that has the teal blue in it? <laughs> but the mark that Sharpie markers make is always bold and it's always permanent. The poetry on her jeans is not fading wash after wash. And God, too, uses permanent love, never-fading compassion, and eternal ink to write on our hearts. I even like to believe that God has a creative flair with color and design as well. Can you imagine what it might look like on your heart? God's indwelling, the permanent marker of God on us, is God's own Holy Spirit. Like our sister in Christ, Barbara, has already testified for us this morning, 
It is that very Holy Spirit that is living in us and residing in us that is God's writing on our hearts. And it is that same Spirit that we depend on to discern God's will for us. For weeks now as a congregation, we have prayed, we have talked, we have met in small groups, we have filled out that survey so many times, and we are working hard on envisioning God's future for this place. What is God writing on the internal heart of this community? And we're not done yet. There's a lot more praying to be done and a lot more listening to do. What shape will our heart take? What new form, what new paths will God lead us down? Discerning God's will is a work of the heart. It requires deep introspection and a high level of trust. We are trusting God's Spirit will reveal to us God's will. And through our combined efforts, through each of us, through our neighbors, through our prayers, through listening to one another, soon and very soon, surely God's will for this place will become clear. Surely soon there will be confirmation of the whisperings that you've been hearing, of the nudgings that are in your hearts. Our challenge is to trust and to listen and to know that God's signature is placed upon our hearts in permanent ink. I am their God, and they shall be my people. People of God, call on the Holy Spirit and trust that Spirit to reveal to you now and continually over and over again the new covenant that God has designed for you and for this church. Amen.
be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I to our time of prayer together. Let me share these joys and concerns with you. Uh, continue to keep Jean Borneman in your prayers as she's awaiting results of tests. Uh, Wendy Bork asked for prayers for uh, Gary, uh, diagnosed with ALS, and her cousin Pat, battling cancer. Matt Resch, a uh, child of this congregation in seminary at Princeton. Uh, many of you know it was in a car wreck many, many years ago and has had ever since then a rod in his leg that um, has to stay in there, we thought forever but now it's caused so much uh, infection that it needs to come out. He was supposed to have it out on March the 17th, but now there have been complications to that and he needs to see yet another specialist at the University of Pennsylvania. So please keep him uh, in your prayers, that whole situation. And then Betty Tilden at, uh, asked for prayers for her daughter, Sue Sterna, who has a, a malignant tumor uh, on her spine. Some joys to share with you. Borchert family is blessed and pleased to announce uh, the engagement of daughter Mary Beth to Joel Compstra from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and they'll be married uh, here actually in September, so we celebrate with them. Um, we have some folks that have been on our uh, concerns list for a while, and we're taking them off which means they've gotten well or are getting so well they don't want to be on there anymore. So George Koch, Gary Schaefer, Dorothy Stoner, um, we celebrate them moving off the concerns, and that's a great thing. And then Janet Cox has been pining away to become a grandmother, and she just found out that's going to happen. So congratulations, Janet, on a first grandchild due in October. And then downstairs at this very moment, we should like open up the doors and stomp the floors really loud because we celebrated this in the first service, but downstairs right now, they're celebrating George Renz's 90th birthday. There you go. George! Did you hear that? They yelled back up. That was great. <laughs> Let's pray together. Lord, it is a joy to, to be part of the community of Christ in this place, a wonder to, to gather with those in their 90s and those who are just days old. And all together, you've called us into this family warts and blemishes and issues and joys. We pray that you help us within the dynamic of that family to more and more learn what it means to be your disciple and your follower. 
that we hear the truth from the voices around us and we hear words of encouragement from the voices around us. Promises have been made and promises broken. And Lord, we confess that we have broken many promises to you. And yet, we are so thankful that you keep your promises, that you're a God of new beginnings and We need a new beginning in our lives. I'm thankful for the work of this congregation and for faithful people everywhere that do your work. Especially today, we lift up the night ministry for all of its service to those who are hurting, and we pray for those that they serve, especially those young ones who live on the edges in danger and fear and uncertainty. Lord, you have written your law in our hearts and please keep writing it still. And make it permanent that we might hear there and see and know that we belong to you in joy and in suffering, always. Gracious God, guide us as we go out into the work that you've given us to do this, this week. As we are discerning as a congregation where we are to be headed next, we continue to listen for your guidance and we ask the same thing in our families and individually give us ears to hear and eyes to see those who are suffering and who are hurting show us where to to put our hands to work the places to open up our wallets and our purses Help us to ask very specific questions to, of you about where it is that we can do the work that you call us to do about bringing justice and serving those who are impoverished and bringing good news to the poor. This we pray as we pray together the prayer that your son Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It's the song of the rich 
Fantastic week. One, two, three, four.